Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. For our final podcast, be on the lookout for a global financial crisis, as Roger gives us the inside scoop on recent events. We at UCLA Extension wish you a most successful 2020. As you'll appreciate in a few minutes, we'll have plenty to cover in our initial 2020 podcast slated for release in mid-January. Our subject matter today is really crucial to understand and to further consider with your own internet resources, so we'll be brief, focused, and maybe a bit dramatic, but you be the judge during the first week of January. For those who have listened to our five prior podcasts, you appreciate we are highlighting issues and suggestions that are generally not covered by our news media. For today, we won't disappoint. Sudden stock and bond market reversals are triggered oftentimes by the following. An immediate and sustaining change in direction of the $7 trillion of liquidity flowing through our stock, bond, and derivative markets each day. These decision makers in charge of this amount of money are not like you and I, and may number less than a thousand on a global basis, whereas we are in a pool with hundreds of millions of small investors. Right now, we are witnessing a shock that few individuals are even aware of, but contagion is occurring, and it warrants your consideration. Directly, approximately $1 trillion dollars Of the $7 trillion each day is entering a high-risk zone, and we'll explain that. A $1 trillion threat in the $7 trillion daily marketplace can rapidly gain momentum and sharply increase interest rates, future inflation expectations, and the global stock markets. Don't take any of today as more than educating you in ways to protect your assets. And keep in mind that for the world's central banks, like the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, and so forth, this holiday period will be anything but relaxing. Think about the events of approximately 10 years ago, when there was concern about the viability of the world's financial systems. Many institutions in the United States went bankrupt, including these. Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, WAMU, plus many other large savings and loans. Countrywide had to be merged with Merrill Lynch, and then Merrill Lynch had to be merged with Bank of America. Many of you remember the $750 billion TARP bailout. Others of you probably remember the $180 billion bailout of AIG as the issuer of many guarantees of worthless collateralized mortgage obligations. Some of you may have watched the U.S. Federal Reserve bailing out banks with $4 trillion of asset purchases, and there's so much more. I want to take you back briefly to that period, because we're not through that period. You can research any part of this crisis I'm referring to that reportedly was the worst since the Great Depression. And as you know, the AIG and bank bailouts were officially repaid, but the $4 trillion of Federal Reserve borrowings are now back on the rise, not decreased as planned over the past 10 years, I might add. The overarching plans by governments were to allow banks to generate large profits to replenish their capital they lost when trillions of dollars of bad debt had depleted most, if not all, of their official reserves. I'm recalling memories. Many of you know this. But here's the major glitch today. 
Recall, if you are into international economics at any degree, that the European Central Bank did not and could not legally undertake a bailout, leaving their major banks, like Deutsche Bank and many others, to operate with inadequate capital. Again, for those interested, there is much available via Google on the serious UK and European banks. A key reason the European Central Bank has moved $15 trillion of European bonds to negative interest rates, which you can see in the press pretty regularly, is their attempt to generate new commercial borrowing and new investments by making money almost costless. Here's the issue. It's not working. Europe is not only fighting recessionary trends, but fighting a disruptive Brexit. I apologize if this water gets a bit deeper, but please stick with this and replay this podcast as it is a rare learning experience that can help you protect your assets by lowering risks you may not even know you're taking going into 2020. We are experiencing, in a camouflaged way, a global issue that seems to reflect a lack of recovery from the prior global financial crisis about 10 years ago. This 10-year-old crisis may reemerge in a slightly different form and actually could be worse. For the past several months, there have been problems in the repo marketplace. That's just R-E-P-O for those of you who haven't read about it yet. The repo accounts for approximately $1 trillion of the $7 trillion flowing through the global market every day. What's a repo? In the briefest of words, it is a very short-term borrowing a day or a few weeks needed by large banks, large funds, and foreign governments in which U.S. government securities are sold and then agreed to be bought back with the purpose of generating immediate cash and reserves. This is different from the Fed funds market in which banks can borrow from the Federal Reserve. The repo market has been institution to institution, but now the Federal Reserve has had to step in, in a big way because there's no other choice. Over the holidays, the U.S. Federal Reserve, totally out of character, is making $500 billion, a half a trillion, available to the repo market. They haven't done this before. So far, the monies needed by this market exceed the day-to-day Fed money injections. So even though they're making $500 billion in new money available to a market they have not supported before, it's not enough. What's my takeaway? There is a major issue in the global financial markets that no one is wanting to report, but it's a big enough issue the Federal Reserve is immediately adding amounts of liquidity that is unprecedented and not within past Fed behavior. What are the possibilities that create the issue? One or more large banks are on life support day-to-day is a possibility. Another possibility is one or more foreign banks with hundreds of billions of U.S. government securities want to pressure the dollar. A possibility is that there's some negotiation going on between U.S. and China beyond trade. We may learn more over the holidays, but whatever the issue, it's not favorable to the U.S. bond and stock markets for 2020, in my opinion. What's the downside? One downside is a major financial crisis hitting when all the Western world's central banks have little or no new ammunition. European interest rates are already low to negative. The U.S. Fed already is moving up credit market intervention from $4 trillion to $4.5 trillion in the past few weeks. Just for inf- your reference, in 2007 or so, Fed support was only $800 billion, so it went up five times during the financial crisis. It was planned to go down. It didn't go down. It's going back up. It's up to a record amount now. 
and climbing. U.S. interest rates are at historical lows, so there's no room to reduce interest rates. There's certainly no room in Europe, as interest rates are negative for $15 trillion of bonds. So in 2020, maybe early in the year, maybe later in the year, I'm preparing for a snap-up or a quick move up in interest rates and inflation expectations, given that so much government money and credit creation has been accumulating with no solutions to the prior crisis. So yes, official unemployment reports look favorable in the United States. And yes, official inflation reports in the United States show no issues. And we've talked about these issues that are under the surface in prior podcasts. But when issues become accepted as new, they seem to come out of nowhere. And when that happens, the bond and stock markets can move really quickly. Right now, pretty much everybody's expecting another 6 or 7 or 8% increase in the stock market averages in the United States for next year. Everybody's pretty comfortable with that. I would bet very few people, aside from the thousand or so people who control the trillions of dollars that are moving around the system every day, are aware that the banking system is requiring so much new liquidity. So my takeaway is not panic-related. It is risk mitigation related. Actions that could be taken and should be taken if they're open to you would be mortgage refinance to take advantage of the historical low interest rates if you haven't done it. If you have done it, maybe it's possible to make money by doing it again. Additionally, I would be hesitant to undertake any new debt and I would want to accelerate debt repayment of existing debt I have. It is totally logical to begin lessening overall stock market risk. And what does that mean? That means selling portions of a stock market portfolio little by little until more information is received on the topic of this podcast. Additional action would be holding only short-term bonds. I've mentioned this in a prior podcast, but transferring any long-term 20-year, 25, 30-year bonds into shorter duration, more like five years or less, if that's possible. This is especially logical since people are not getting paid much of a premium to hold the long-term bond versus a five-year bond. Additionally, I would hold off on any new, more expensive home purchases and stress test your household finances. What do I mean? If you are adept in Excel, I would look at what next year offers in terms of compensation. And I would put compensation into two categories. Basic pay or pay that's pretty predictable versus bonuses or pay that may be quite variable. But I would look at two scenarios on pay. I would put my expenses in. That's a good time now, particularly as we approach tax time. Pretty much everybody knows what their expenses are, particularly if they use Quicken or some of the products to calculate taxes. Information is readily available. And worst case, I would use these metrics. If you're spending more than 28% of your pre-tax income on mortgage, rent, and insurance for a house or an apartment, you're in an area where the financial planning board considers it to be dangerous for your own financial health. So to the degree you're under 28% of revenue income spent on housing, including homeowner's insurance, that's going to be favorable. And equally important, no more than 38% of the Income should be spent on all debt service. So that includes the mortgage, it includes, actually includes the rent, the uh, homeowner's insurance, but also includes any educational loan payments, it includes any second mortgage or home equity loan payments, it includes credit card payments that are not completely repaid month to month. 
38% is the key number. And to the degree that your household is under the 28% and under the 38%, that's favorable. If those amounts are exceeded, it becomes exponentially dangerous for an adverse impact, a job loss, not getting a bonus, and so forth. So this is the time to be really conservative as we have a probability of repeating a financial crisis. So even though the overall numbers look really good, what is being analyzed is the flow of dollars, which is, as we indicated before, substantial. It's multiples of what the gross national product of the United States is, and it's from there in which a crisis can really come. As a final thought, I want to bring to your attention really recent news in the past day or so involving three major banks in Italy. One of them is requiring support of over $1 billion. That's Volksbank Populare di Bari. Another one is the world's oldest bank, Monte di Pasci di Siena. And a third one is in the Mezzogiorno Medio Credit area. These three banks are substantial European banks, and they've been kept from bankruptcy so far and are now facing what the European Central Bank would call bail-in, which means depositors are going to be given stock in these banks in lieu of some of their deposits. If these banks continue toward bankruptcy, as they have been doing, depositors themselves, including 70,000 small savers in the case of Bari, can lose some or all of their deposits. The seriousness of the crisis that is underway, and I'm calling it a crisis, is outside of the U.S. news networks. So I'm bringing this to your attention not to create a scare or, be, or panic because there is a lot going on that we don't hear about day to day. And what you can track, if you so desire, is the U.S. repo market. You can certainly notice when interest rates begin to change in the United States in the repo market and in short-term treasuries. A final confirmation, which may be kind of late in the game, is when short-term interest rates begin spiking. This happened in September, and in September this was mitigated. Now the amounts of money are so large, there's a question about how much it can be mitigated. If there's one thing that you should take away from all the podcasts, the five of them plus today, it is that you should consider looking at the 1,000 or so movers of money above all of us, the investment banks, the sovereign wealth funds, the governments, Federal Reserve, European Central Bank. It's a very small group of people who influence interest rates and money flows. And it's this very small group that accounts for $7 trillion of flows every day through our dollar financial systems, including stocks, bonds, and derivatives. And there are very serious stresses that are under the surface. And should these stresses emerge, and they may emerge in the next number of weeks, not years, weeks, perhaps months, the impact is going to be really substantial in the stock and bond markets in the United States. So I can't forecast exactly what's happening and when it will happen, but the risks are so elevated now that risk management dictates a really conservative approach to protect yourself. While no one can predict the future, we can all gain by mitigating risk. Our first 2020 episode will pick up right here, protection of our assets in what promises to be another really volatile year. And with that, we wish you a most happy and successful 2020 with more to come. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. 
This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.